Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to gather with you this morning to praise our God through whom all blessings flow to us. My name is Kelton. I have the, the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'd, I'd love to greet you afterwards, so, so please find me. If you would, though, please open your Bibles with me now to Genesis chapter 27. We're continuing our study of Moses' account of the life of, of Jacob and Esau this morning with the stolen blessing. The stolen blessing. You can find Genesis 27 on page 21 if you're using one of the pew Bibles provided for you there. If you don't have a Bible or you want to take one to give away to someone who doesn't have a Bible, please, please take that as our gift to you. We're actually going to backtrack a few verses into chapter 26, so, uh, and we're going to dip into chapter 28 as well. So our passage this morning, Genesis 26, 34 through 28, 9, the stolen blessing. Normally we read the passage all at once at the start, uh, but today we have a lot to read, so we're going to read it section by section. So you'll need to keep your Bibles open to, to read along with me as we go throughout the sermon. But, of course, before we read, it's appropriate for us to pause and to ask for God's blessing on our, our hearing and the proclaiming of his word. So please pray with me. Make this prayer your own. And if you agree with me, join with me in saying amen at the end. Let's pray. Father of heaven, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would lift our eyes as we have just sung to Calvary. That you would again fill our leaking ballast of assurance to, to see this morning his love for us prove. So by your spirit, take this word and settle its truths deep in our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, Rebecca and I recently finished the, the ninth season of the show Seinfeld. My first time ever watching the sitcom. And, and my honest review of the show is that every episode is about how much of a mess the characters' lives are because of their selfishness, their pride, and their deception. George Costanza is particularly known for his habitual lying. He says, and I quote, I lie every second of the day. My whole life is a sham. One particularly tragic plot line has George faking a handicap to get hired so that he will have private access to a handicapped bathroom. And of course, he is caught in his lie when his boss finds him on the street carrying his electric scooter. Throughout the show, he lies that he's an architect. He lies that he's a marine biologist. He lies uh, about owning a house in the Hamptons. He lies on IQ tests. He lies about donations, on and on and on. Every episode, season after season, his lies never work out for him. They just bring ruin and disappointment in his life. So it makes you wonder, why keep lying? When it never works, what drives a man like George to keep lying, to constantly deceive? What is he seeking well, our passage this morning is like an episode of, of Seinfeld, or, or maybe, more accurately, Seinfeld tells the stories that are as old as sin, as evidenced by Isaac's family here in Genesis 27. 
Isaac's family is a mess of their own making through the sins of deception and so much more. And God's purpose in recording this for us is is in part to to show us the, the ruin and folly of sin, just like Seinfeld. But but more than that, to show us that despite our sin, God's promises will be fulfilled. He is faithful even to intend that our sins accomplish his good purposes. So let's read of the mess of this family starting in Genesis Genesis 26:34 and for now through 27:17. Genesis Genesis 26:34 through 27:17. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went out to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before, the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young, young, good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. The word of the Lord. We'll read through the rest of the narrative as we go, but for now, our our big idea this morning, the one thought to hang all the rest of our thoughts on, despite the utter folly and ruin of sin, God fulfills his promise. Despite the utter folly and ruin of our sin, God fulfills his promise. Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob all make contributions to the mess there in here. And the results are personally destructive and, and grievous to God. But despite their evil intentions, God even uses their sinful actions to fulfill what he has promised and works it for salvation. When sin runs deep, his grace is more. So we as Christians have every incentive to, to put away falsehood because God is in control and will accomplish his purpose. We have nothing to fear, no need to manipulate. 
Despite the utter folly and ruin of our sin, God fulfills his promise. Honestly, I I don't know how this always happens. It's not a conscious effort. But we have three points again this morning. Three points. First, a mess of their own making in, in what we just read, 2634 through 2717. Second, God's unhindered purposes, that in 2718 through 29. And finally, the fallout from sin, 2730 to 289. That's a mess of their own making, God's unhindered purposes, and the fallout from sin. So let's start by considering what we just read, our first point, a mess of their own making. A mess of their own making. It's undisputable that what Moses begins to describe here is is a mess of epic proportions. Isaac's family is, is divided, deceitful, and frankly despicable. We're going to look at all four actors just within these first 19 verses to, to see the mess that they've made. And it, it made. And it begins there with, with Esau in verse 34. So in, in verse 34, Moses records that Esau marries at at age 40, and, and no, these are not just biographical notes. Remember what we discovered last week, that, that biblical history is not just fact for fact's sake, right? It is theology through history. Moses records for us that, that Esau took two wives. From the beginning, we know that this is not God's purpose for marriage, you remember that the first polygamist in the Bible, Lamech, was the exemplar of evil in his generation. And the only other polygamist we've met so far in Genesis is, is Abraham, whose, whose marriage to Hagar was, was clearly destructive and disastrous. So that the careful reader will know this portends a poor future for Esau. But, but not only that, we, we read in, in Hebrews 12 earlier, in verse 16, that they called Esau sexually immoral. I, I think this is what it has in mind. His, his adultery with two wives. But it's not just that he has two wives, even more. It says both of his wives are Hittites. Hittites are the descendants of Heth. Heth, the son of Canaan. Do you remember how hard Abraham worked to secure a wife for his son Isaac, not from among the Canaanites, sending his servant all the way home, thousands of miles, to find a wife for him, Rebekah? And why? It's because because Canaan's family is cursed by God. They were destined to serve the children of Shem and, and ultimately to be driven from the promised land. This is not about... Ethnic purity, far from it. It is about believing the promises of God. Esau, by these marriages, shows his disdain and disbelief for for what God has said. God has promised that that Abraham and his line will possess the land that is now possessed by by Canaan. To, To side with Canaan, like Esau does in these marriages, is to side against God's line. You can see the fruit of it and the immediate result there. In 35, they make life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. We don't get specifics. It's at least the fact that now of Esau's, all of Esau's children are in the cursed line of, of Canaan. His marriages here make it, it clear that Esau is disqualified 
from inheriting the promise of the godly line, the, the line of Eve. A mess of their own making. But that's just, that's just the beginning. It, it, this makes Isaac's intentions all the worse. So let's, let's look at Isaac next in the, in the first four verses of, of chapter 27. Moses relates that, that Isaac is now old, and in his old age he is going blind. Of course, his impaired eyesight is, is what makes the rest of this deception in the chapter possible, but we'll get there soon. Since he's old and he recognizes he could, he could die at any moment, he wants to be prepared for that death. He wants to, to pass on the blessing before he dies. But what son does he choose to call, to pass the blessing on to? He called Esau, his older son. The one married to Hittites. The one more than that who had already sold his birthright to his brother Jacob. And before that, who God had promised would serve the younger. Do you remember the prophecy we studied in in chapter 25, verse 23? God saying to Rebekah, when the children were still in the womb, he said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. God has promised the older Esau shall serve the younger Jacob. But despite the marriages, despite the sale of his birthright to Jacob, despite God's word, Isaac's dying intent is to bless Esau and not the rightful heir Jacob. And honestly, based on the context, it seems that this is all because of his appetites. He asks Esau to prepare for him delicious food, such as I love. We see that repeated three times. Such as I love, that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac's preference for Esau is showing itself again. He's fighting against God's word based on, of all things, his stomach. You think, what happened to the man who persevered in prayer for his barren wife for 20 years, trusting God's promise? The man who had the great privilege of having God's promise to be with him, to bless him despite his fears. I think maybe, maybe at this point, his godly wife will intervene. No. Nope. Picking up in verse 5. Rebecca contributes to the mess too. In verse 5, we learn that she overheard this conversation of, of Isaac's intent to bless Esau. We could pause there and, and consider what, what could have Rebecca done? Well, it's described well by Matthew Henry. He says, if Rebecca, when she heard Isaac's promise, uh, Isaac promised the blessing to Esau, had gone at his return from hunting to Isaac, and with humility and, and seriousness, put him rem- in remembrance of that which God had said concerning their sons, if she further had shown him how Esau had forfeited the, the blessing, both by selling his birthright and by marrying strange wives, it is probable that Isaac would have been prevailed upon knowingly and wittingly to confer the blessing upon Jacob and needed not thus to have been cheated into it. That sounds like a good plan. Reasonable. 
That's a godly way to intervene in the mess her husband is making. But instead of jumping in to exhort her husband by reminding him of God's word, she resorts to deception. To secure the blessing for Jacob, she will deceive the blind. She'll appeal to to every other sense she can, smell, touch, taste. She prepares a decoy dish. She dresses Jacob in in hairy goatskins and his his brother's cloak, all to trick Isaac into believing that the the son he is about to bless is Isaac or is is Esau when it's when it's Jacob. You know, we might we might imagine that she justifies this because her, her ends are noble. She knows that, that Jacob is the proper recipient of the blessing. She's just doing what she can to ensure it happens. But of course, ends never justify ungodly means. She herself has, has very personally experienced God's power to fulfill his word without human intervention. Right? She had the miraculous conception and birth of, of these very two sons after 20 years of waiting. She knows what God has said about Jacob. But now she just doesn't believe that God can accomplish his plans without her dishonest intervention. Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, all contributing to the mess of this family dilemma. And of course, finally, Jacob, too, has his part to play. He, he goes right along with Rebekah's plan. Sure, it wasn't his idea, so maybe, maybe the lion's share of the blame belongs to Rebekah. But, but you notice, his only objection reveals he's only worried about his own skin. In verse 12, he, he is thinking about what happens if it fails, not whether it's the right thing to do in the first place. Again, no thought of God's word, no confidence that he would accomplish what he has said apart from their deception. So everyone, brothers and sisters, in this story has sinned. No one looks good. Everyone doing exactly what is right in their own eyes. By by my count, eight of the ten commandments are broken in our passage this morning. Eight of the ten. In order, so far, Esau has broken the seventh commandment to not commit adultery by marrying two wives. Isaac has broken the tenth to not covet by desiring a meal so much that he ignores God's word. Rebecca's schemes obviously break the ninth commandment to not lie. Jacob's part in this scheme breaks the fifth to honor father and mother by instead deceiving his father. We haven't read it yet, but but later Jacob will use God's name in vain when he utters God's name in a lie, breaking the third commandment, that that in verse 20. He has no reverence for the name. And, And after all is done, Esau will console himself by planning to murder his brother. In his heart, breaking the sixth commandment, verse 41. And of course, number eight, Any violation of any other commandment is always a violation of the first. All four actors serve themselves rather than worship God. This, my friends, is a sinful mess of epic 
proportions. And every member of the family has their part in it. The image that comes to mind for me is a melee in a a Roman Colosseum. Everyone out for themselves, weapons drawn to destroy one another until only one man is standing. Everyone is self-seeking, self-trusting, self-serving, using others for their own ends. And at this rate, everyone will be destroyed. Well, in light of how bleak this picture is, I do want to offer an encouragement. Maybe this sounds a bit like your family. Deception, rivalry, and its results. Let me encourage you to persevere in love for your family. Thankfully, this is not the end of the story for Jacob and Esau. And this is not the end of the story for your family, not yet. Remember what we read in, in Hebrews 12. It encouraged us to lift our drooping hands and strengthen weak knees, to, to strive, it says, for peace with everyone. As we'll see in our next point, God's, God has, has a purpose even in the midst of, of chaos. And his purpose in the midst of chaos is unhindered. If, if you can relate to the story of this family, I would recommend adding the song we sang earlier to, to a playlist you listen to frequently or, or go buy the CD of Sovereign Over Us. Listen, listen to the words. You are working in our waiting, sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. And in that chorus, faithful forever, perfect in love, You are sovereign over us. Brothers and sisters, make that your chorus in the midst of family chaos. Faithful forever, perfect in love, sovereign over us. But with the mention of God, you might wonder, where is God in all of this? Surely, the one who spoke to to both Rebekah and Isaac could, could intervene. But so far, God hasn't even been mentioned. And when he does get mentioned soon, it is in vain. At at no point in our passage this morning are we told explicitly of of God's acting in, in any way. But despite all human contributions here to folly and and ruin, despite no explicit mention of, of God's actions, what we find are that God's purposes are unhindered. So let's, let's keep reading, starting in, in verse 18, to see just that, God's unhindered purpose, our second point, God's unhindered purposes. We're going to read the, the next scene in, in pieces and comment as we go. So let's start Genesis twenty seven eighteen. So Jacob went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of the game that your soul may bless me. We see, first of all, Rebecca took good notes. Jacob, posing as Esau, repeats Isaac's words back to him. What a, a bold lie, though. I am Esau, your firstborn. You picture it in the mind's eye. Was there any hesitation in his voice as he said that? Any trembling of fear? Verse 20. 
But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Well, Isaac, for his part, though blind, raises suspicion. It's not normal for Esau to be back so soon. And Jacob adds his second lie and the use of God's name in vain as a prop in his lie. Yahweh, your God, has granted success. But still, Isaac is not convinced. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Isaac or not. Doubts linger. Since Isaac cannot see well enough, he wants to confirm by touch that this is Esau. Of course, Jacob has thought of this and, and Rebekah has a good plan, but, but will it work? Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hand. So he blessed him. The scheme succeeds. Despite it being the voice of Jacob, the goat skin is apparently convincing enough. Well, after asking once more if it is Esau, we now have the test of the taste. Did Rebekah get the recipe right to hide that this is goat and not venison? Verse 24, he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought his, him wine, and he drank. Well, no complaint here from the aging Isaac. He's fooled by the meal. But there is one last test and the most dangerous. We're not out of it yet. He wants Esau, Jacob, to draw near, not just to touch, but to kiss. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down, bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Well, finally, Isaac smells Esau's garments and the deception has worked, fully convinced that this is his firstborn son Esau. He pronounces a blessing on him. And the, the blessing includes three things. In, in first, ver, verse 28, provision from God. Do, he says, fatness, plenty, Material prosperity from the land and, and flocks. Second, in the, the first half of verse 29, dominion. The, the blessing means that other will, will serve and, and bow down, that he will be, it says, Lord. And those that serve him are, in fact, his brothers. And finally, at the end of verse 29, the, the cascading of blessings and cursings because of this son. You might recognize this as exactly the formula that was given to Abraham. God had promised Abraham that those who bless him will be blessed and those who curse him will be cursed. Abraham 
And now his son and his grandson are the hub of God's blessings on earth. That blessing, first given to the, the pagan moon worshiper, passed to his son Isaac, Isaac, and now passed not to who Isaac thought he was passing it to, Esau, but who God intended, Jacob. Friends, this is exactly what God had promised to Rebekah before either child was born. The older shall serve the younger. God's purposes of election have continued, not because of him who works, in fact, despite it, but because of him who calls. So despite, despite Isaac's intention to contravene the revealed will of God, even despite the, the worthlessness of Jacob in his deception, it is God's will that prevails, unhindered by the schemes of men. So Christian, is your view of God this big? That, that he works sovereignly behind the scenes even despite sinful intentions to the contrary. That nothing hinders his purposes. Saint, can you see God acting to work out his purposes even when, or even when he's not, like in this story, doing it in a dramatic or manifest fashion. His name might not be mentioned, but he is the primary actor in all history, both of nations and your own life. You know, in, in fact, as bad as ignoring God's word and the deception are in this story, the, the sin behind every one of these other sins is, is the same. It is a shriveled view of God. It is unbelief. As much as this passage is meant to, to warn us about the sexual immorality of, of, of Esau, about the lying and covering and, and anger, it is more deeply about the folly of unbelief. No one here believes God's word. Esau despises it, marrying the cursed clan of Canaan. Isaac ignores it, picking his preferred son. Rebekah and Jacob consider God's word weak, that it needs their sinful intervention. When you consider it, our, our lying too is rooted in unbelief. The sin below our lying is unbelief in God's word. We, we want something. Or we fear something and think that the only way for us to get it or to protect ourselves is to manipulate the truth to our advantage. There's much more to say here, Christian, but, but, but for now, you will never defeat sin simply by beating yourself up by doing bad. You must believe with all of your being that God is bigger than anything sin promises or threatens. God is bigger. His purposes are unhindered. Literally, nothing can hinder your God. All of the things that, that frustrate us, that, that confound us, are like dust on the scales to Him, meaning they don't even measure. They frustrate Him as much as a mosquito slows your car 
when you hit it on the highway. Even less. When God intends to bless and to keep whatever else men may intend against that, you will be blessed and kept. So Christian, take this big view of God and press it against your temptations and watch them wither. If anyone in this family had taken this belief in this kind of big God and pressed it against their temptations here, this would be a very different story. But unbelief prevailed, and so they must experience the fallout from their sin. That's our third point, fallout from sin. In in verses 30 through chapter 28, verse 9. In this fallout, first we'll see how, how Esau and Isaac respond when the deception is discovered and ultimately how it wrecks this family for years to come. Let's start reading in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out, with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What what then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. And away from the dew of the heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? 
Well, Jacob escapes in the nick of time for Esau to return and present his meal. And of course, both Esau and Jacob, or Esau and Isaac, respond viscerally. It says in verse 33 that Isaac trembled violently. He insists that his blessing is irrevocable. These are not just the well wishes of a father to his son, but the the continuation of God's promises to the next generation. The only thing left for Esau are there in verses 39 and 40. You shall serve your brother away from the fatness, away from the dew, the opposite of what is for Jacob. Again, this is what God had promised. The older shall serve the younger. Esau, too, is filled with grief. Verse 34 says that he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Bless me, my father. And at the end of verse 38, Esau wept bitterly. It's a tragic scene to behold. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, what we read earlier in our service, speaks of this scene. Esau Esau now desiring the blessing. It says he sought the blessing with tears, bitter weeping. But Hebrews tells us what we see here is not repentance. The the grief is a grief of losing the blessing. It's not contrition toward God for his sin. No, his heart is hardened in sin. Hebrews says no chance to repent. This is made abundantly clear for us in his his posture toward Jacob. In in verse 41, he planned to murder, murder Jacob when Isaac is gone. By the way, Isaac ends up living another 40 years till he's 180. But but this, what, what we see in verse 41, is not the attitude of the repentant. His heart is hardened in sin. No chance to repent. He should instead have sought the blessing, not in Isaac, his father, but now in Jacob. Exactly what, what was said. Those who bless Jacob will be blessed. It's a promise. But instead he plans to destroy him. Do you see the fallout of sin, grief, and murder? This is the result of their sin, a divided family in the ruin and folly of the mess that they have made. And what is next is that Isaac and Rebekah lose their son. To protect Jacob, they send him back to his uncle Laban in Haran. We have reason to believe that Rebekah never sees her beloved Jacob again, though, though Isaac we know will. She again calls on her son to obey my voice. Well, let's finish with the first nine verses of chapter 28 and see where this leads Jacob and Esau. Chapter 21, starting in verse, sorry, 28, starting in verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, 
And he went to Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So the story concludes Isaac blessing his son Jacob now without deception in earnest. I think this is what Hebrews 11.20 has in mind when it says he blessed Jacob in faith. He blesses him in verses 3 and 4 with with many descendants, the the blessing, the promise of Abraham. It it seems that that Isaac's faith is restored. and, And like his father before him, he knows that his son must not marry a Canaanite woman. So next week, Lord willing, we'll follow Jacob as he heads to Haran. Esau's final action is, is try to appease his parents. We end where we began, with, with his marriages. Instead of marrying another Canaanite woman, though, he marries a child of Abraham through Ishmael, Mahalath. But this is a poor solution, a, a half solution. An Ishmaelite wife is not the way back to blessing. This is the wreckage of their sin. Their sin has real consequences. But still, despite these real and lasting consequences, God is not hindered. God's grace is greater than even these sins. Because his purposes always remain unhindered, he can bring salvation out of this wreckage, the fallout from their sin. You know, in in time, Jesus too will experience the, the wreckage of sin because of the deception of sinners. Jesus, after being unjustly arrested, it says in Matthew 26, 59, the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. They resorted to deception and lies in order to crucify the perfect, spotless Son of God. And even though Pilate and Herod knew that he was innocent, they handed him over to the Jews to be crucified. But in his prayer on the day of Pentecost, Peter confessed to this big God that his purposes, even here, are unhindered by the falsehoods of sinners. Acts chapter 4, 27 and 28, Peter prays, For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Despite the deception weaved by all of his enemies, this is exactly what God had planned to take place, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Behind the scenes, our big God was working all things together for our greatest good. 
Christ's death in the place of sinners so that simply by faith and repentance we can experience the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life by grace. Instead of the stolen blessing, we have the taken curse. God's unhindered purpose to take the curse of our sin that we might receive blessings by grace. Brothers and sisters, the foundation of our belief in this big God is not merely his working in the life of Isaac's family, but his unhindered purpose in the death of Jesus Christ at the hands of sinners to actually redeem sinners. So church, this morning, take this big view of God and press it into every corner of your heart today. Our God reigning high above the heavens, reaching down, we sing in endless grace. Despite the other folly and ruin of sin, God fulfills his promise. This is grace greater than our sins. Let's pray. Father, we confess what can lies offer us that you cannot. Lord, we have every incentive to put away falsehood because God, you are in control and will accomplish your purposes. Even the sinful intent of of our hearts cannot undo what you have purposed. Lord, we praise you that in the death of your sin, though by the wickedness of Herod and Pontius Pilate, Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, you accomplished whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. The greatest good to ever happen. The accomplishment of our redemption. Lord, we pray that you would take this big view of your power over sin and press it into our hearts this morning. That this would be the ballast of our assurance. Your love and power forever proved. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.